How's everybody feeling this morning? Good? Good. It's good to see some new faces here and good to see the family of God here. I'm glad that you uh, made your way out. And uh, I, I, I do believe if we keep open ears this morning, we're going to leave out blessed, meaning we're going to come, we're going to leave with something in our pocket that we didn't have when we came. And uh, how many of you all know that God is a giver of good gifts? So every time you go to him, he wants to give us good gifts. Um, That's what his father's heart is. It's one of the greatest markers of who God is. He's a good father. And so I also want to say this, that uh, we're in a series about wisdom, right? Wisdom and foolishness, two opposite things, right? Wisdom and foolishness. And I think we just got to say it outright right now that we are all born and have proven that we are all foolish, right? So why don't we just lay it all straight right now? We all know how to be fools. If you know how to be a fool, you have proven to be a fool, raise your hand. All right, cool. So this is a safe place to learn about wisdom because we've proven over and over that we're very capable foolish people. All right. And I, and I stand up here saying that the most, you know, as I was opening up God's word and, and looking at it this week, I said, how could I, how can I preach this when I have done the very thing of, of the woman of folly or foolishness that we're going to talk about in the passage? I'm like, man, I followed this so often in my life. And the reason that I can sit up here and talk about this and preach this is because It's not about me preaching it. This authority, this word, the word of God comes from God. And we believe that he is a being. God is above us. He's authoritative. And so today it's really we're coming together to learn about wisdom and foolishness, not from me, but from God. And that's a good thing because then you have kind of two parties. You have the group of the foolish people saying God teach us, right? And that's our heart. And I thought in light of that, you know, it would be a good thing to start off with a kid's story. Are you guys open to that? How many guys love Dr. Seuss? All right. So I love lyrics. I love stories. I think they're one of the best ways to give truth out to a human being and for a human being to be able to receive it. Right. And that's why I love in the word of God that there's so many stories. And and, a matter of fact, if you really boil it down, the word of God. Even though it seems so overwhelming, 66 books, all different kind of literature. If you boil it down, it's really God's story to us, saying that he loves us and he has a plan for us. Now, there's more details than that in there, but I love stories. And so I want to start out with a story today if you guys are good with that. If you're good with that, say amen. Amen means so be it. So you're you're invited to say so be it whenever during this time. Uh, Let's pray. God, we ask that you would speak to us short and simple Would you speak to us today? Amen. So old man Ramon pulled out his go-kart. Everybody know what a go-kart is? I don't know because, you know, in the days of uh, cell phones and tablets, do do people still play outside? I was wondering. A go-kart is what you make. It's a little car, right, that you get ready for a race, right? So we got to define that because this whole story is based on the go-kart. Old man Ramon pulled out his go-kart one day on top of a hill overlooking the city made of hay. That go-kart was a wonder full of beauty and might, powerful structure and made for flight. It had all the bells and whistles polished to a sheen. What a sight to behold, the go-kart of our dreams. Each and every piece was made to perfection, 
So, of course, it drew all the city's attention. A gang of outlookers started to ooh and ah. Eyes wide open, they admired the car. Old man Ramon, they said, can we get in and drive the go-kart right off the edge? Well, the hill is steep, he replied, but this go-kart was made to drive. So if I go in the pilot and pilot the way, we can jump right in and cruise our city of hay. Hmm. A look of disdain. Stank faces were many. Impulsive remarks, complaints by the dozen. No, no, no. See, we want to drive to show all of our friends the go-kart, the frills, and the pleasure within. Old man Ramon paused, the experienced inventor and pilot, for he knew what they wanted, but was concerned with the way they would drive it. Smiling with patience, he said, listen, you are young and lack sense, but you do have great minds. So I want to teach you to drive and together we'll fly. But by this time, the gang of shorties were many, squashing themselves into the go-kart by the plenty, 10, 15, 20. They tuned out old man Ramon and zoned out to see the only voice they heard was themselves in the feeling of ecstasy. They hijacked the go-kart and revved its engine. They pushed the old inventor back and snarled, this is now our invention. <laughs> old man Ramon warned, wait, don't descend the hill. The go-kart is combustible. You will have a spill. With all of its power, the go-kart needs a pilot's will. He urged more instructions, but his voice faded into the noise. They crawled to the edge and pressed the mess out of the coils. Ten hands on the wheel, pulling all directions. Five feet on the gas, all with different intentions. The bystanders had mounted and saw the confusion, but most applauded. What an entertaining commotion. Off they went down the hill, smugly smiling at the old man Ramon to show him a prideful farewell. <laughs> Peace out, they screamed, and they fell and fell. They descended down the hill and felt the thrill of having the ultimate control of the will. When it came to navigating the first turn, they argued and bickered and could not discern. One pulled right. And the other yanked yank left, back and forth they swiveled the go-kart while in outright descent. As the fork approached, the road grew thin. The momentum took control. It was no longer them. Warning signs marked the roadway. Far away from the crowds, the flashing lights grew dim. Reality, loud. <laughs> the feeling of freedom turned to a frown. Fright overtook them. Out of control, they surged down. The gang of thieves desperately needed a pilot now, but old man Ramon was pushed out of the cart. So who would take control and pilot the part? Huh. Just then, time ran out, and the course took its way. The go-kart crashed smack in the middle of the city made of hay. The accident was tragic. The crash was grave. But the worst thing yet was the flames it made. The go-kart of beauty, wonder, and delight became the source of destruction when not used right. Old man Ramon still cried out on the hill. Even in their fiery grave, he was calling them still.
Even in their fiery grave, he was calling them still. Lord, I pray again, because we're just like those misfits trying to have control, trying to do life on our own, God. Would you give us insight from you today as you call out in a culture of a million different voices telling us how to live life? Would you call out this morning and remind your people that it's you who guide us? Would you call out this morning and remind some person or people today that actually releasing control to you is where they will find life, where they will find new life? Bless the dividing of your word right now, God. Spirit, may you minister to us, Lord. your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, listen, I hope that story was kind of clear. I hope you got the gist. A group of misfits trying to take control from the inventor, the pilot's hand. And to me, this was kind of a story that came to my mind that made me think of myself. It made me think of my culture. It made me think of my city. It made me think of humankind. And it was connected to the passage that we are going to break down today, which is Proverbs 9. So go ahead and open up to Proverbs 9. It's important that you do the work with me of dividing the word of God, meaning you put your eyes on the word of God. So open up to Proverbs 9. We'll be going through Proverbs 9, 1 through 18. In Proverbs 9, you hear two invitations and really the whole of the Bible, whether you know it well or don't know it well, is this invitation of God calling out to us. God calling out to humankind who he made. And you see that real precisely here in Proverbs 9. You have two invitations. One from the voice of wisdom. Everybody say the voice of wisdom. And then you have the opposite, the voice of foolishness, right? And the way the author wrote this, the way that Solomon wrote this, right, was in a way where you have two parts, almost symmetrical parts, right? And in the middle, you're going to find the main point. So in Proverbs 9, the first thing that we'll read is the first side, right? And the second thing we'll read at the end of the passage is the second side. And in between, right smack in the middle is the main point, is the main point. We're going to follow this, uh, the author's technique here, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of compare and contrast, right? Compare and contrast to see what these invitations are. What is the invitation of wisdom? Or as we're going to find out, the voice of God. And what is the invitation of foolishness, as we're going to find out, is the voice of just the world, the voice of our hearts, the voice of our wantings for our appetites, right? So check it out. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. So let's start with that. Wisdom has built her house. She is hone or hewn. That means carved. She has carved her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her young to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. I'm going to read that again. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So you're getting the gist of what this woman of wisdom Right. This voice of wisdom is calling out, saying, man, come to my house. She actually sends out her servants to say to the city, yo, come in, come in. I got a house prepared for you. I got a meal prepared for you. And I want to love you. I want to welcome you in. I want to be hospitable and I want to teach you how to live. 
actually goes beyond that. This voice of wisdom says, I want to give you new life. I want to give you new life. All right. Now go ahead and jump down to verse 13. Maybe as you can throw up verse 13 there, we're going to skip the middle section. And this is the other side. So remember, compare, contrast. That's what we're going to do. This is the voice of foolishness calling out. The voice of foolishness. Verse 13 reads, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. And this is what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, hey, stolen water is sweet and the bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol or the depths of the grave or dead, basically. Right. All right. So let's think about what wisdom is offering and let's think about what foolishness is offering. I don't know about you, but when I read these passages I think of real life situations. Do you? Do real life situations or experiences come to mind when you hear this voice calling? Uh, Maybe I should say high school. Does that invoke any memories of wisdom and foolishness? Maybe I should say college. Maybe I should say the neighborhood or town you grew up in. Parties of people. Different voices. Maybe it's different sections of your family. One calling out and you're like, man, I feel like that's good for me, but it may not be as attractive or may mean like me taking a stance on some things or the voice of foolishness where it's like, man, that's quick and that's easy and that feels good. And that's what everybody else is doing and tugs you this way. When I read this, I think about a million different stories. It's actually when I was preparing this, I think I deleted like 20 illustrations. (laughs) Because I was like, you know, I'm going to fill up this whole time with stories and illustrations of what this is saying. But you know why it brings so many memories to mind? Because this is the core of life. Everybody say the core. The core of life. And I mean that because this is what the word of God is saying is once we get to verse 10, you'll see. God is saying you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. To borrow um, a little bit of the metaphor from the story, it's like old man Ramon sees the city on fire. And who made it on fire? The people that wouldn't listen to him, right? And he still is walking through the streets saying, we're in a city that's burning, but I still have a redeeming news for you. You can still come and learn my ways, even though the city is burning, right? But you got to start somewhere. And that somewhere is realizing who he really is. Okay. But before we get in too deep into that, let's just compare and contrast these voices again. So what are some of the things alike? We're going to school today. I get it. Right. Compare, contrast is literary class right here. So compare. What are some of the things that are actually the same about wisdom and foolishness? I think you have to start here. One of the things is that they both have a voice. Right. They both have a voice. They both are marketing. They both are communicators. They both are heralds. They're both in the city. They're both active, calling out, calling out, calling out. So this is a good thing. This is to pause. One of the good things is that God hasn't left us in our burning city. You feel me? Or in our burning lives. He actually is still calling out. 
All right. Now, you got to understand when God inspired these writings, the author looked around and said, man, this city has some good or this this world has some good things. But overall, this world is pretty jacked up. Right. It seems like a mess. And so this is written in the mess. Let me pause and say that this is not written in the Garden of Eden when time began, when it was all perfect. Right. Now, this was written when there had already been the world was full, neck deep in the wrongdoing of every kind. And so that's a good thing to think about. It's a redeeming thing to think about is that God is compassionate. The voice of wisdom is compassionate, calling out, saying, I built a house for you to come live in and learn from me. All right. But they both have voices. And they are calling what? Followers. So let me ask you this. When you read this, do they both have intentions? Yeah, they do. Right. Yeah, they do. I think we live in a, a very fear-driven culture where it's like it's hard to take people at their, their, uh, uh, the first impression. Because you're like, man, you're nice, but what's your intentions, right? It's kind of this like, you're nice, but what are your intentions? There's a, we live in a culture of distrust. All of us have done people wrong and we've been done wrong, right? We don't trust politicians because they've done us wrong, right? We don't trust um, many systems and things, especially in Chicago, right? And... Uh, so there's a distrust culture, and so we want to know the intentions. But intentions, are they always bad? Well, I have intentions for my three sons. And if I tell my sons to not touch the fire on the stove, are those intentions good? Yeah, because it's for their well-being. Now, I've also been in times where I've had bad intentions, right? Where on the surface, you might even say, man, I have good intentions. But underneath, you're like, man, maybe this will prop me up. Maybe it'll get me some glory. Maybe people will applaud me. Maybe I want something from that person and not the best thing from that person, right? So you have to weigh intentions. So as we look at these voices, know that they both do have intentions. But what are they? What are they? And are they kind of the, the, the thing that separates the two voices, right? Uh, both are talking to the simple, those who lack sense. Let me break it down for you. The Bible esteems us as human beings, but there are many passages in the word of God that basically say, hey, even though you guys are made in God's image, you kind of, you're, you're like sheep. You're simple, right? You lack sense. Would anybody this morning say that they ever lack sense? Right? Okay. Me, right? Look, I have three boys. I see that they're born without any sense, right? <laughs> As was I, right? Actually, the things that get under my skin the most, I'll turn to my wife, Iris, and be like, man, this is driving me crazy. And she'll be like, what were you like at that age? I was like, man, I was worse, right? But human beings, even though God loves us, he esteems us, we're made in his image. Because of sin, because of our foolishness that we all have, it's apparent that both the voice of wisdom and foolishness, they see people passing by and they, they don't call them, hey, wise ones. Nah, they say those who lack sense, right? And so they know that we're impressionable. We're impressionable. All of us are impressionable. I don't care how independent you say you are or smart or how determined. Everyone is impressionable by the voices that we take in to our head. All right? So if you buck up against that, it's going to be hard to kind of go into the rest of the sermon. If there's a heart of humility, then we can really dig in 
to who we are as humans. But it starts there. Wisdom knows that she can get followers, and foolishness knows that she can get some followers too, right? Um, they're both offering gifts and a filling. They're both offering something, and they're offering you to be filled with something. But they're very different things, and they feel in a very different way, all right? So let's break down some of the contrast. Wisdom is different from foolishness because, and these are just a few. You could tease out your own if you go back on this later, and I encourage you to. Go back into this text later this afternoon and really go through it and say, what are the two invitations here? And how does this apply to my real life? Because it will. It will. All right, but this is something that I took down. Wisdom is hospitable with good intentions, and she's prepared a meal. That means she values somebody. You ever made a meal for somebody? You won't make a meal for somebody that you don't value because it takes what? Work. And it takes what? What's the best ingredient in good food? Love, right? Love, right? And so you know when a meal is cooked and set up and prepared. I mean, it goes on to say she's built a house in the city. She's built a house in the city to say, man, come in. I love you. I've, I've slaughtered my beast. That's an old school way of saying I've set the chicken out. Right. I got the chicken out. I got everything ready for you. And I want you to come in. She's got intentions to love you and, and show you hospitable, um, a hospitable nature. She, she wants to talk to you and teach you. Right. The other thing is she wants her guest well-being. She wants life for her, her, her guests. She has compassion on the people passing by, knowing that they need good judgment. She sees a need in the people passing by. She also, uh, she wants you to be full with her good food and wine. And the word of God often talks about food or bread and wine in a way that's talking about a deeper nutrition, right? So this metaphor is always very powerful, as we'll see later, the full fruition, the full completion of it. The Bible uses the word bread and wine often to mark fullness and completeness and, and, and a satisfaction and joy to mark, uh, or, or wine to mark joyfulness, Right? A festive celebration. And so she's not just serving you, you know, your high school lunch here. She's saying, man, I put out the best for you. I put out the best for you. And lastly is this. Um, in verse 6, or verse, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, in verse 6, she says, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Those two words are huge for me. She says, leave your simple ways and live. So ultimately, she has all these things she set up, but it's all pointing toward one thing. I want you to have life. I want you to really live. And I know walking outside right now, you're not really living. You lack sense, and I have something to give you. All right? Now, let's contrast uh, foolishness. Foolishness is loud. How many of y'all took offense to that because you're loud? <laughs> I'm loud too. But foolishness is loud. Foolishness is seductive. Foolishness has that little thing on her words that is like a finger saying, come on in. It's seductive. It's beauty on the outside. It's trickery. Do you know some situation you've been in like this? Some voice you've heard like this? A lot of this, obviously, this is highly relational relationship based as you start to go into foolishness uh one 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 thing i like about this is remember we're comparing foolish the author is using women as a, a way to personify right put a person or paint a picture 
of, of women here. So it's a good, I always like when I see this because there's women in, in a very righteous light with wisdom and there's a very seductive light of how this woman is. But it's a powerful picture when you think about it. And most often we know seduction in the, eye, the, the idea of a relationship that baits our appetites and pulls us in. That says something that catches our ear because they want more than our ear, right? And you see that as you read this. Uh, foolishness is very, man, it's candy. It's sugar, <laughs> right? It's like, come on in. Come on in. It's going to taste great right now, right? So foolishness is loud, seductive, but check this out, but knows nothing. So it's ignorant. It's ignorant. Foolishness is ignorant. When you say, man, that dude is a fool, or that rapper, he's a fool, or that singer, he's a fool, or that politician, he's a fool, it's usually because it's triggering something in you to say, man, they're talking a lot, but they don't, they don't really know anything. So they're just jabbering. And it sounds good, and it may sound popular, but they're just pulling you in. She wants people filled not with good bread and wine. She wants people filled with something she doesn't even own, stolen goods. So foolishness shows itself typically in the perversion of good things, right? Foolishness typically is like, okay, God made a good gift like sex. Let me pervert it. Let me get it to people quick without the relationship because it's a quick hit. Come on in. Here it is. It doesn't just apply to sex. It applies to anything. Quick money. Quick fame, quick this, quick that, right? Something that's stolen, something you grab from somebody else. She's like, I got the goods, right? She is the con man on the street. It's like, yo, just give me a quick buck. I got this for you, right? So she's a tempter. She wants to give you good, ple quick pleasure. But her, her, her guests, where do they end up? At the table? No, they end up at what? The grave. She knows people lack sense and takes advantage of them. She doesn't have compassion, want to teach him, right? In essence, she's a predator. She sees the innocent, lack of sense person and says, I got a way in to take from that person. And it seems like she almost takes pleasure in that, corrupting people. It says, uh, I like in the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says that those who were on their straight way, she pulls away from that straight way. She pulls them to a crooked path. Now, let me pause there. Does that bring up any thoughts in your mind about yourself or other people that you know and love? That were, oh, man, they were doing so good. And then, man, this one voice came in. This one person came in. This one group came in and just enticed them away. And ultimately, she wants quick pleasure and guaranteed death. She wants the death of the people that come into her house. Now, let's back up and remember both of these voices are calling from where? At the height of a hill in a city, they're calling out. 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 Now, I said that she was loud, right? Do we live in a loud society? A loud world? It was loud before social media. Now it's like double that, right? People constantly screaming their way, their way, their, their way, yanking at the wheel like the metaphor was saying. Go left, go left, go right, go right, not knowing where they're going. Loud, 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 so you won't hear the compassionate, still voice saying, come in, I got something better. You don't hear wisdom saying, come in, I got something better. 
All right. So you guys see the two different sides, right? The author very clearly says, man, this is wisdom. This is foolishness. Okay, so for us who lack sense, if we say, yo, yeah, I can be, I can lack sense. I can be um, impressionable. I'm a sponge. I'm like a little kid. I can be gullible. If I accept that, who do I listen to? One has my left ear. One has my right ear. Sometimes I feel like the foolish woman has both of my ears. So what do I do? And this is where the author says, I got the answer. I got the answer, but you got to start from step one. And this is it. Look at verse 10. In the ESV, the, the translation we've been reading today, it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I like this. In the New Living Translation, it says this. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So you have to start with this. The beginning of wisdom starts with knowing a person. The beginning of wisdom starts with knowing a person. And this is where the author transfers from talking about wisdom and foolishness as like women, like the personification of women. Are you guys tracking me? Tracking with me? Because the author kind of jumps around. Here is where the the author kind of turns and says, listen, that voice of wisdom, that's God. That's God. And so if you boil this down, you have God's way of doing things and you have your own way of doing things. One is wise and one is foolish. All right. So let's cut to the chase here. Let's cut through the poetry. You do have every person can hear from God and every person can hear from the world. And there is two paths. It's pretty basic. It gets complex in how you make decisions, but it's pretty basic and it starts with a person. It starts with what do you do with God? What do you do with God? And here it says the fear of the Lord is the foundation of living wisely. The fear of the Lord, knowing him, recognizing who he is, is actually the place where you start becoming wise. When you recognize who he is. But you could also turn it the other way. The lack of the fear of the Lord. The lack of knowing the Holy One of God or the rejection of him is when you write your own book and you off to foolishness for your whole life. That's just where it is, right? Two paths. There is two paths here, very clear cut. And so in verse 10, we see what God is saying. The first step is recognizing and asking yourself, is God my author? Is God the author of life and is he the author of my life? Does he have authority over all of this or do I? It's where life starts. It's where wisdom starts. Am I in the writer's seat or is he in the writer's seat? I mean, that's really where it starts. So let me break this down because you hear this verse all the time. Christians, family of God here that you've been walking with Jesus, let's open up our our mind a little bit because we need to apply this over and over in our life. It's not just for salvation. It's actually for how we live life. The word, the the, the idea of the fear of God. Fear is not like uh, an ideal word in our culture. Everybody say semantic range. Yeah, we're going to school today. So check it out. Semantic range means you can use a word, but it can have many meanings, right? I love my rice. I love my wife. Is it the same thing? It shouldn't be. If if not, I'm in trouble, right? Right? I love my rice. I love my wife. Love is there, but it has a different degree 
of what it means, right? It's the same thing with fear. Let me break this down. Yesterday I was running uh, my, at my uh, mother-in-law's com- like complex or community thing in, in northwest Indiana, and I'm on my second mile, and I'm gassed, and it's hot, and a huge bull mastiff, like a pit bull, charges at me about 40 feet and stops. Did I fear for my salvation? <laughs> I didn't. Because my salvation, I know I'm saved, I'm clean, and the Lord loves me. So I didn't fear for my life, my salvation. Did I fear for my arm and my leg and my face? Yes, right? So the semantic range of fear right there, it, it was a degree, and that is based on the object of the fear. So I fear the dog, but I don't fear the dog over my salvation or my soul. I don't fear the dog over my family because they weren't there. I know he's not intellectual enough to kill me or bite me and go find my family, right? So he was limited in his threat, right? The next level up from that was when I was swimming in the Pacific Ocean. A beautiful thing. How many of y'all love the ocean? Beautiful. If you respect it, if if you love it and you use it and you honor it, you can enjoy it, right? You can really be in awe of it. And I was swimming there in Cabo San Lucas, and, you know, I'm, I, love, I love swimming, so I was in it, right? And it was like six feet tall, and then a swell came. And it went from like five to six feet to what I assumed was like 10 to 12 feet, right? And I was no longer moving through it. It was just moving me. And I had a moment of terror. I'm a great swimmer. Am I going to do anything against that? No. Why? Because it's much larger than me. I passed the threshold of me being in control and I realized, man, this I'm in awe of this ocean. So that's another step of like the fear of the ocean is that I can be in it, but I recognize it's much greater than me. Many levels above that is when I truly came to know God in reality in my life. And it was when I was 15. And it was when the knowledge of the Holy One and the word of God that I heard preached to me just like this and in relationship and through my parents and through many people finally did a reckoning on me. And it was when I was 15 when God showed me the fear of the Lord or gave me the fear of the Lord. And and that came because I compare myself to him. I compared my ugliness inside, even if I could be pretty on the outside or act the part, man, I, I, I realized my sin was so, it was the grave compared to his life. It was so dark and, and twisted and perverse compared to his beauty and his perfection. And then I realized he was over time and that my life was limited. I had just seen one of my friends get shot a block from here. And it made me think, oh, I'm not the Lord of time. I don't dictate when I was born and when I died. And so once that, that was an attribute that said, man, whew, he's the author. He's bigger than my life. Wow, he's over time. So he's not only over holiness, he's over time. And, 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 I, and I, But I'm living my life like I'm my own author. And that resulted in me saying, God, forgive me. Give me new life. That was when I entered into wisdom's house. 
So when we read the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the, the, the last thing that I wanted to do today when talking about wise decision making is to give you a self-help book and equations. Your life will be wise if you stay in the place of saying, God, you're greater than me and you love me and I need you. That doesn't sound like rocket science, but it is for life. Like I said before, it's the core of life is reckoning with a person. And that person is much greater than you, and he loves you. Matter of fact, he's the author of your life. He knew when you were born. He knew when you'll, he knows when you'll die. He knows all of your days. He knows your tragedies. He knows your shortcomings, and he still calls to you and say, come into my house. Come into my house, man. Stop trying to live your life on your own. Just submit to me, because when you submit to a father with perfect intentions, it's a safe place. It's a good place. It's not the seductress, foolish place. It says the whole opposite of that. Come into my house and let me, let me destroy your life. These are the two voices calling to us, and God is calling to us today. You may know him. You may know him and been walking with him for a couple of days or a few years. But I do ask you, do you need a good reminder that he is the author? He is the authoritative voice over our life. I want to pause here to say this. Uh, I'm in like, I think the third wave. I mentioned I came to Christ at 15. I'm 36 now. Um, and I feel, I was just telling my brother this. I feel like I'm going through the third wave of friends that said that they were loving Jesus, kind of departing and saying, I'm kind of done with God. And some of these people have said, man, I have been walking with God for 10 years, 15 years. Some of them have done ministry together, served together, been a part of all these different things. And yet I find them. I just had two conversations in the last week that basically said, I don't know if they didn't put it this way, but God is the author. And it came through this. It came through this. The disbelief that God can author his word. That he can author the Bible. That he has the ability to communicate himself. And I, 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 I challenge you in this. When you allow yourself to displace God from being the author of life and the author of the word of God, you become your own author. You make God not God. You basically say the author can't communicate himself. And so I distrust all of his words. And it can start with a trickle. It can start with a little numbness. It can start to listening to that voice of foolishness being like, ah, I like this narrative better than God's narrative. Did you hear me on that one? It can start with saying, I hear the voice of foolishness on this issue in culture, whatever it be. And I kind of like this narrative that the human beings are writing here more than God. But once again, it relates to. The authoritative voice comes from what? The authoritative person. The authoritative God. Is that making sense? It's like if I authored, like if, if I, I authored this little kid's story today, right? So Jasmine comes up to me and like, I don't like the story. Let me author it. I'm like, that's my story. How are you going to do that? How are you going to take control, right? Now, that's just two people going back and forth. I'll be like, write your own story, right? But God, being who he is, before reality was created, he creates reality 
And human beings look back to him like, we don't like your story. We're taking control. You're just a co-writer. And guess what? After a while, we're not even going to let you co-write. We'll just, we'll write our own story. We'll write our own definitions. We'll write our own culture. We'll write our own good way and evil way. And it doesn't even make sense because we're the authors. We can do what we want. Wisdom starts by saying, nah, man, if I take the pen, man, I, I, I mess it all up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm delusional. I'm not the author. I didn't make myself be born or die. Like, God, you're the author. You're above me. All right? So the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. The knowledge of God, man, that's where your life starts or ends. And it's not just the knowledge. See, I would say this, and the Bible shows us this, that the mind, the knowledge, right, and the will, what you do, they, they intersect at your heart. They intersect at your heart. It's where, it's where what you believe and how you behave, the choices you make flow out. And that's why this, is, this whole thing was about wise decision making, but you can't start there unless you know that your heart has says, God, you're the author. You're the author of this whole world. You're the author over my whole life. And man, just teach me. I humble myself. Just teach me. The crux of a wise or foolish life is whether you accept that God is the author and the authority over life. When you displace God as the author of life and specifically by not believing in his word or his ability to communicate himself through the word of God, the Bible, you make yourself co-writer of life and decisions. And after that, you just write away what you want to choose. And I have seen that, sadly I say this, and there's always, well, I'll get to that. In this third wave of seeing friends basically say, I'm kind of done with the God of the Bible. I, I don't believe it anymore. Destruction follows in their life. It may look different ways. Some of them have departed and got crazy rich, got high-powered jobs, and have left, have, have ended up empty. And they told me so. Some of them have chased the entertainment, the fame, and they've, they've, they've chased all the things in the artistic world, which is forever at the, well, now is, is definitely part of the center of our world, right? The likes, the Instagram fame, all of that. And it's destroyed their families, destroyed their marriages, it's destroyed their own self-control away from vices and destructive habits. It's just like choosing the foolish way is exactly what the proverb says here. It leads you to the grave. And not just for your own life here. It's not just about if you started a drug habit or if you, you know, you, you, you caught an STD because you weren't wise or whatever it is. It's, it's not just the temporary things. It's that ultimately those little steps lead toward the grave away from God and they lead to the eternal grave. Which is the epitome of being away from God's presence. That's hell. And so this base Wisdom here is to have God, the, God is saying, man, come live the good life with me. Receive forgiveness. Man, let me make you new and avoid that destructive path. Two other things I want to ask here is uh, the frequency of authority. And this is for mainly those of us that follow the way, Jesus. How often are you placing yourself under the authority 
of the author's voice. This is what really matters here. I love the beautiful picture that it's, it's, it's a voice of wisdom saying, come eat with me. There's a community involved there, right? Come sit down at the table, be with me. So it's a relationship that says, let me continue to talk to you. And so Edgewater, family of faith here, Christian, if you've been following Christ, are there areas that you're like, eh, I'm trying to squirm away from the table of sitting under God's authority? Well, then I will tell you, and I know from my own experience, that's going to result in unwise decisions, even though you're a part of the family of God. Do your choices matter as a Christian? Yes or no? Yes. We often say the Lord is sovereign. He's sovereign over our mistakes. He can redeem our mistakes. Yes, he can. He is like old man Ramon walking through the burning city and he's still redeeming us in our brokenness. But we also have a free will. Our decisions matter. And we're held to those decisions. And God wants to give us rewards for wise decisions. Not that we earn his love, but out of his love, out of being in his family, he's like, man, pursue me. Let me author your decisions. All right. And so the frequency of sitting under God's voice, which you're doing right now, not mine, the word of God, sitting under the word of God, believing that that word is infused with the Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus that speaks through it, that it's a living word and doing that in community. Loving the church family, even if you've been done wrong in a church family or you, ha- you want to avoid it, it's the best thing to be around the table in a church family that lifts high God's word and says, hey, in humility, we all got to learn from them. Let's sit at the father's table and learn. Right. So I want to question you where you're at right now. If the spirit's putting something on your heart where you can identify a place where you have been unwise, I would make the I would. I would make the claim that it's because you're trying to remove yourself potentially from the authority of what God's word is saying, right? And putting yourself under that authority, God's word cleans cleans us. Even better said, God cleans us, right? And so you, as believers in Christ, we need to be frequently under the word of God. What does the word of God frequently compare us to? Like I said before, sheep, right, who lack sense. Sheep, are they forgetful? Absolutely. Are we? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a friend ask me in high school when I was at Sullivan, why do you keep reading the Bible if you've already read it over and over? I said, brother, because I forget it as soon, (laughs) not as soon as I read it, but seasonally, I need to read it over and over because I need instruction over and over. It's just my makeup. But guess what that, the sweet part about that, it's not just about doing the study, Because God's word is his word that's part of a relationship. Once again, it starts with personal, starts with a relationship. So sitting under God's word in community, letting other people pour into you will help you to make wise decisions and cut off the foolish decisions. Have you ever been there? Man. If I could tell you how many times my sisters who love the Lord said, man, don't get with that female. (laughs) Because that's a foolish decision. Right. How many times has a brother or sister or a group of people has said, man, don't do it. Don't do it. We love you. We're telling you. So in the wisdom, in the counsel of many who love the Lord, there is wisdom. Another proverb says. Right. And so don't isolate yourself. And this typically happens in relationships. When you have a relationship in secret, nobody can speak into it. 
when you have a relationship that's open and, and has counsel that can pour into it, it will pour into a wise relationship. This applies to other things too. So once again, this is not an equation per se of whether you should go to college or go to the workforce, what's wise. It's the discernment within the community, sitting with God at his table, letting other people speak into you. You're going to establish and build your life in a wise way and honor the Lord. So don't isolate yourself. And the last thing is this. This is the ultimate. Everybody say the ultimate. This is the ultimate. Jesus says, this is what he wants for us. This is Christianity following Christ, like minimalized to the bare essential. Is love what? You can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love what? Your neighbor as yourself. I see it in this proverb in this way. Following Jesus and being wise in him ultimately comes down to do you love him? In 1 John, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do my, you'll do my will. You'll do my commandments, even if you don't want to, right? And we're all like kids, like, come on, man, don't tell me to do this. I don't want to do this. Oh, but I love you, Pop, so I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it, right? Ultimately, making wise decisions and having a wise, established life and staying away from the foolish, destructive voice will come down to this. Do you actually believe Jesus is real and is the author of life and then you love him back? Because when you really love somebody, it will direct your decisions. And it's the ultimate. Loving the Lord your God will help you love your neighbor. Loving the Lord your God, uh, really think about like self-love, you hear it all over. The, you actually will love yourself much more as you find yourself in the Lord, right? Loving the Lord your God will help you love your broken community, your broken family, right? But it's out of a love. That's like the highest thing. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it. The greatest of these gifts, all of them is what? Love, but love shows itself through, say it with me, will, 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 decisions. I love my wife, so I will not go chase what my eyes want inside. I love my church, so I will not isolate them if somebody hurts me. I love my family, so even though I don't want to go to that thing, that barbecue, maybe I'll go because I need to share Christ's love. Love propel, propels action. And if it comes from a love of God, it will be wise. Write that down. Love for God propels action. And if it is a love for God, the God of the Bible, and you are walking with him, it will propel wise decisions. Many of the world says, just give me wisdom so I can serve myself. Tell me how to make money, but they don't learn generosity. Tell me how to work hard. I'm going to have hard work, but they don't learn Sabbath or rest. See, once again, it goes back to God being the wise author of life. He knows how it all connects, not just the moon to the tides, not just the four seasons, winter, uh, summer, spring, and fall. He knows how our anatomy works. I said this in my last sermon. Your heart is a Rubik's cube and it's all in a mess. He knows how to put it together. He knows how to restore relationships. So he is the author. He's the master of the whole thing, the whole go-kart of life. He knows how everything functions. 
And so if you don't have a love for him, the inventor, the pilot, the author, you won't make wise decisions because you're not listening to the one who knows how it works. And that is what this proverb is saying. Don't go to step two or three. You got to get step one right. You got to recognize what is your life compared to mine. Do you see I'm the author? And eventually he wants that to not be just functional or academic or an equation. He wants love. He wants lovers of him that will result in wise decision making. Is that connecting? You know, some, some of you guys might have seen the title or they might see it online after this that we post all the sermons online and said, man, he didn't give me that golden nugget. I just wanted that golden nugget, right? I wanted that, that pyramid scheme. I wanted that, that, that give me three steps to being wise because I got to get out of my funk. You don't get yourself out of the funk unless you allow him to take care of your funk. Does that make sense? So it's not a quick equation. It's a submission to God. And this message right now is, is not just for those that would humbly say this morning, man, I, I don't know God. I don't know Jesus. It's for those of us that do. I want to conclude by saying this. Uh, Pastor Bill and those who else have been preaching has been calling it the good life, which I like. Uh, Kanye West always talks about the good life. He doesn't know the good life because it's all based on riches and fame and all that. The real good life is found here in the Proverbs. It's found in the word of God. It's found by the author of life. So the good life is marked by wise decisions when it comes to submitting to the author's voice. So here's, if you want a, a little bit of an equation, here it is. If you want the good life, the wise life, number one, submit to the author's voice and what he's done for you what he's paid for you, as we're going to break down before we have communion. The second thing is hear and obey him frequently. Hear and obey him frequently. Uh, it's hard not to keep preaching. Most of those that have walked away the last couple of weeks, after we've gone round and round in circles about why, why don't they believe in the Lord anymore, love Jesus, uh, they've continued to say, well, I just like some of Jesus's words. I said, when's the last time you actually like read the book of Matthew and all of his words? When, when, when have you read the Bible last? And every time it's been months or years. So there's a disconnection of sitting under the voice of the author. So I, I exhort you, brothers and sisters in Christ, sit under the voice of the author. Audio Bibles, read it, study it. Do it daily. Don't let it become month after month after month. Because I will say this. Yes, you are bought by the Lord. You are filled with this Holy Spirit. But your head is still wide open with free will. And, you, and, and all the voices of the city are calling out to you, trying to replace the narrative of, of truth. What will be your voice of truth? So sit under the word of God. Don't isolate yourself from the family. If you got some issues in your heart, maybe God has kind of churned them up today, some hurt that you don't want to be involved or let yourself get too deep into the family of God, I want to encourage you this. God can heal you, but he's going to heal you when you come to his table and you open up to people discerningly and you let other people love you with his truth. None of us is meant to be in the house alone with God. He calls a family. And ultimately, uh, pray. 
Ask the Lord that he would help you to gain a love for him. You know, let, let me just be candid, man. How many of you guys hate your appetite sometimes? Hate, you, you're like Paul in Romans 7. I hate what I do. I don't do what I want to do, right? You know what will starve out those things, starve out the foolishness of your heart in the world? A love for God. It will fill your heart. And guess what? You, you have some work in that, but what's going to help us in that? Man, I challenge you this. Say, God, man, re-invoke a fire and a love for you. And help that love to start pushing out the seductious voice calling me to things. I just want to say by way of reminder, the voice of foolishness de denies God's authorship. It tunes out his counsel. And ultimately, it hates his voice. So the house of foolishness over here, it actually hates the voice of God. It, it, it hates everything that God defines as good and right. And eventually it says, I hate that you're continuing to try to define my life. But don't listen to a foolish king over here, a foolish woman's voice, a foolish voice calling out because it leads to death. Choose life today. Choose life. Jesus says those who seek their lives will lose it and those who lose their lives will gain it. So I'm going to ask you this. Lose your life to Jesus today. If you have in the past, lose it again. Be reminded that you've lost your life to Christ. Let's be reminded of that. It's a beautiful thing to lose your life to the one that can give you life. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, I'm going to tell you this. God's talking to you. Not my voice. But the voice of his word, the voice of truth is saying this. I got life for you. I love this picture. I just read it in an article. We don't come to the cross of Jesus empty. No, we come with all our junk. And he pushes and pulls it away. All our sin, all our destruction, all our listening to foolishness, and he replaces it with forgiveness that makes us whiter than so, snow in our soul, with mercy because we've all fallen, with grace because we don't deserve any of his love and he replaces his ultimate love and forgiveness in your hands and over your whole body. He makes you new. Just like verse 6 says, come into my house. I want to give you new life. And if you don't know that life this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, I'm going to call out in the city right now. Don't put them off. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the forgiver of sins. He authored this whole thing. And if it doesn't make sense, it's because you don't know him. Come to him and it will make sense. And he will forgive you of your sins. He'll make you new. Don't push him off. Don't push him off. Because if you push him off, you will put on this voice of foolishness. It will just be a reaction. All right? Jesus is calling you to himself. All right? He loves you. He made you. And he wants to make you new. Forgive you of your sins. Last thing I'll say before we take communion now um, is this. You know, I, I really have enjoyed uh, the time of fasting that we as Edgewater have been having. 
it hasn't been communicated from the elders or pastors like, hey, family, you got to fast, right? It's not been a mandate. But I want to encourage that because I'll tell you this, man, if you feel malnutritioned in the Lord and you feel kind of cold or calloused, fasting is a great way, turning off social media for a while, turning off food for a while, whatever it is, to kind of reclaim your ears to listen to God of where maybe he needs to kind of call you back to wisdom. And so I just want to encourage you. It's been good for me the last month. It's been uncanny that the times that I've turned things off, God has said, okay, my son, let me deal with your heart. Don't be afraid. Come into my house. I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to raise you. I'm going to clean some things. And it's been refreshing. And so I, I just do encourage you, like, a hunger for God will set things right in your life. So seek the Lord and pray and fast and if you find yourself in a dry place. And let us, let's, uh, we're praying that the Lord continues to really revive our family here. Uh, let's pray and the, um, the elders can come forward. Wow, Heavenly Father, you're good. You're good. You're merciful. You're gracious, Lord. You sent your son to save us. You didn't leave us in our own destruction, a burning city. We try to take the wheel over and over, define our life. But you call us to yourself. You say, stop trying to take control. Come here. Let me forgive you. Let me grow you. Learn how to walk wisely by walking with me. Thank you, God, for your word. It just cleans us. And we thank you, Father God, that you're going to produce fruit even from your word being uh, thrown out there today, Lord. And I do really pray, God, that, that your love would just continue. And the message of your gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ gave his life for all of us that needed uh, forgiveness of sins. That today, God, under the sound of my voice now, that anybody that calls out to you and says, Jesus, I need you, rearrange my life. I submit my life to you. Forgive me my sins. Show me that you're my father. Show me that you're the God of over my life, that they will be saved. And so I do pray, God, one more time, Lord, that you would add to your family today by someone coming to know you today, Lord, we pray. This is your invitation that we would have your life. Thank you, God, for offering it. In your name we pray, amen.